Good morning. <laughs> the scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 4 through 42. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, if you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people will worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him in this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks to you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who's told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples spoke to Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples asked each other, has someone brought him food? 
Jesus said to them, I'm fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you have a saying, four more months and then it's time for harvest? Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying, that one sows and another harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work for. Others worked hard, and you will share their hard work. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified, he told me everything I've, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this morning that we can come together and wonder and question and think about what it is that you might be up to among us and through us. And so we ask that you would clear away those things that clutter our hearts and our minds so that we might be fully present to what it is that you are wanting to say to us today. Speak through me because of me and in spite of me so that we might leave this space inspired, reminded, challenged, encouraged by your work within us and around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned earlier today, or earlier in our service, um, yesterday morning, um, several city churchers met up in the Western Edition for our first Lenten prayer walk in the with our partners, some of our partners at Open Door Legal. Um, founder Adrian Tertinati, who's a member here at City Church, and um, their frontline partner, uh, uh, Hakika Drisker. Developed after land surveyors decided that it was suitable, the Western Edition was an outpost bedroom community for San Francisco's budding downtown. But as black folks arrived from the South as part of the Great Migration, so did the seeds for ongoing and systemic efforts for dis to disenfranchise the area. Our walk, which you can, as I mentioned, find in the City Church app, especially focused on the effects of San Francisco's housing policies. We learned the many ways in which the residents were not only unjustly and disproportionately impacted by these policies, but how they have set the stage, how those policies have, how those policies have set the stage for more recent 
um, circumstances um, and events, from bad faith building projects to explicitly racial zoning policies in the 1940s, of which San Francisco um, has pride of place of being one of the first in the country to develop. Uh, to more recent injustices, like their city um, taking, going back on its promise to hand over ownership of the Midtown Park apartments after residents had paid off the mortgage. There are any number of injustices and exclusions that black San Franciscans could point to with anger and bitterness. And as we heard story after story of neglectful landlords and a justice system that seemed to enable their bad behavior, it would be entirely legitimate for folks to feel at once overwhelmed and paralyzed at how to respond. The history runs deep, and the effects are so sprawling that it's really difficult to even capture. More often than not, many folks in the neighborhood have resigned themselves to the belief that injustice is a foregone conclusion. But the creative and persistent efforts of residents to wrestle back some dignity, along with the ongoing efforts of our partners at Open Door Legal to advocate for the tenants, also give us glimpses of healing and glimmers of hope that a different kind of future could emerge. And it's this kind of healing and hope for a different kind of future after generations of bitterness and exclusion that today's scripture passage is speaking to. It begins with a powerful statement. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, for you and I, this seems like data, right? The, a route on a GPS map. But for anyone hearing those words in Jesus' day, they would know that it is more than a region. Samaria is more than a region. It is a whole history. A whole history that started over 700 years earlier, during the time of the prophet Jeremiah. Israel had been conquered by Babylon, and as a result, Jerusalem and its temple was destroyed. But not only that, the population was ripped apart. All of the leadership, the technologists, the craftsmen, scientists, religious and political leaders, they were all brain drained from Jerusalem in service to Bab the Babylonian empire and economy. They were filled with despair until God told them to build houses, dream dreams, and seek the wel welfare of the city until they could return. So, they hunker down and preserve everything they have about who they are. And not unlike many immigrant um, communities, their identities and practices sort of become frozen in time um, from that time that they arrived. Nothing evolves, and they are fixated on making sure that everything is perfectly preserved. Now, the ones who were left behind in Jerusalem were the ones basically that were not worth taking, uneducated, unskilled, and unprofitable to Babylon. So there they were, left in the ruins of their temple without the guidance of their leadership to pick up the pieces of what was left of their lives, their identity, and their religious practices. The colonizers come in, and they have to contend with adapting to their new reality. And as they figured out how to build their lives, they began to worship on a mountain in Samaria, which is how they became known as the Samaritans. And we don't know why they went to this mountain specifically. Maybe they needed to get away from the city center where Babylonians were starting to set up shop. Maybe they needed to get, be away from the reminders of all that they had lost. We don't know why, but what we do know is that in spite of not being uh, the educated church leaders, they did the best they could with what they had to continue their traditions forward. And this meant that their prayers weren't perfect and that they probably forgot some key parts of worship, and perhaps they didn't say all the right words at the right time in the right way. 
but they built something workable that sustained their spirits in the wake of tragic loss and immense grief. And so it goes for at least a couple of generations, Jeremiah says 70 years, before the exiled Jews return to Jerusalem, so the ones who were taken away to Babylon. And when they do, what they discover is that these folks who were left behind have completely disfigured the faith. Why are you worshiping in Samaria and not Jerusalem? Why are you praying that way instead of the right way? The returnees are disgusted at what they discover and declare that they are the ones who practice a pure religion. And so instead of a tearful and joyful reunion between siblings that have been ripped apart, instead of collective lament and healing from extensive trauma and displacement, instead of sitting with the terrible violence and spiritual injury that they have suffered that had been inflicted on them, the returning exiles turn up their chins and look down their noses. They rebuild the temple and reinstitute the religious practices as they had so intensely preserved and called their Samaritan counterparts impure and unclean, sellouts, half-breeds, and corrupted counterparts. In Harry Potter terms, they were the mudbloods of the faith. And by every measure, they were an embarrassment to God. At different points in the prayer walk, Hakika shared some of his own story and perspective as someone who grew up in the Western edition. While we were at the Midtown Apartments, just a few blocks away from us here, Adrian shared about how the apartments had been built in the 60s, and the city had promised residents that if they paid their rents faithfully and completed the mortgage, the city would hand over ownership to the residents so that it could become a co-op. But the city went back on their word and handed management over to a company that raised rents by 300% immediately when they took, um, took over. And they refused to provide any maintenance on the units in the hopes that residents would just move out. Instead, the residents went on a rent strike that lasted for six years. Hakika, whose family was one of the original residents, shared how so much of his commitment to justice work is rooted in a deep desire to see his neighbors, people he had grown up with, these are his friends, right? To be able to live with the promise of secure housing to live without, without the very real tolls that stress takes on a body, to access and accrue some semblance of generational wealth that they might be able to pass on to their children, their nieces and nephews. What struck me deeply in Hakika's sharing wasn't just the content of his words, but the substance of his heart. His longing to see his people flourish was so clear in his voice. As Jesus and this woman, whose story and standing becomes abundantly evident as they talk, as they converse, you hear at the beginning some suspicion in her voice. There was hardly any meaningful dialogue between the two groups of Jews and Samarians or Samaritans that didn't devolve into the same old slurs and insults that led to renewed pain and anger. And so this woman is ready for Jesus to cut her down like any number of men like him have before. After all, he holds all the cards of privilege and power. He's a Jew, a man, a rabbi, versus her. A woman, a Samaritan, a woman who has been married multiple times. Some scholars say that she's getting water midday because that's the time when folks were less likely to be around, and so she wouldn't have to get hassled by anyone. She could go about her business in peace. 
But now here is this man who by his very embodiment is making her abundantly conscious of all that she isn't. And the moment she sees him, she's stealing her backbone and holding her head high. Nothing to do now but hope she can get in and out with too much trouble. And when he comes at her with this simple request, give me some water, she's ready to serve back whatever it is that he's about to give. But then Jesus speaks a request, and it isn't long before she realizes that he isn't interested in rehashing the same old sparring matches. No, he's here for a different kind of conversation. What starts out as kind of theological back and forth turns into a conversation that explores the deepest questions she has wrestled with in her own heart. Jesus sees her, sees all of who she is, and he doesn't flinch. She later describes him as a man who knew everything I ever did. And so what she has done is not what Jesus is interested in. What he's interested in is who she is. And this makes her feel safe enough to ask a very delicate question, since he's a rabbi, and clearly an unusual one because he's willing to talk with her. She wants to know about this Jerusalem conflict. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say, and what she means by you is y'all say, y'all say that it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. And behind this one question are so many more. Why do we have to worship in Jerusalem in order to be considered real Jews? Why do you reject us? We did the best that we could. Haven't we also been faithful? Haven't we also been faithful? What do we have to do in order to be recognized? To be seen as fully human, to be fully loved and treated fairly? They are questions pulsing with the pain of rejection, of unhealed wounds, and generational trauma. Here, at Jacob's Well, where all of the hurtful words and stereotypes, the exclusion here at the site which marks the moment and place when two long estranged brothers, Jacob and Esau, find their way back in relationship with one another. It's here where two estranged communities begin to find their way back to one another as well. Jesus meets her in this pain. He tells her what it means to be faithful, what real worship is. He says it's not about location, education, or even orientation. It, it's about spirit and truth. All this, all this other stuff, it's noise. Spirit and truth, that's it. And in that moment, in that site of ancient family reconciliation, another weeping family wound is cleansed, stitched, bandaged, and begins its healing process. And the vision of a different kind of future begins to emerge. Even the disciples showing up with questions in their eyes and confusion in their lips don't disrupt the moment. With her eyes bright and locked on Jesus, something fundamentally has shifted in the realm of possibilities for this woman. And as someone who has made it through some more hard times than she can count, this woman knows a good thing when she conceives it. She's not going to let it go. The passage says that she was so struck, she left her water jar at the well to run back as fast as she could and tell her people, spirit and truth, that's it. This man has given us a pathway from shame to self-respect, from rejection to belonging, from brokenness to restoration. Spirit and truth, come and hear it for yourself. And the people are stunned and brought to life in a way they could never have imagined. 
Many believe just because of what she said, but even, there are even more who went out to see and hear for themselves, to hear the man who says that the lies they've been told about their second-class status are just that, lies. After the woman leaves, Jesus tells the disciples that he is full, and they are confused because they just came back with an armful of groceries. They know there's only a bottle of mustard in a jar with one pickle floating it in the fridge. But even so, even though it's been all day and Jesus must be starving, The only thing on his mind is how full he is feeling. Finally, after healings and debates, fighting with religious gatekeepers and trying to, with all of his might, to get his folks to a deeper level, he's found someone he's able to finally connect with. Someone who doesn't fear getting, who doesn't let fear get in the way of showing up as their whole selves. Someone whose bitter past has not kept them from imagining a different kind of future. He is full because his spirit has been fed. Maybe she wasn't the only one who has drunk from the well of living water. It's tempting to believe that the way things have always been is the way things will always be. But if this passage reminds us of anything, it's that what we see is nothing close to what we can get. San Francisco's past has shaped the present but it doesn't have to determine its future. We have good people making a healing difference. Good people like Adrian and Hakika and you and me, people who not only care about the flourishing of all who call this city home, but have some amount of privilege and power to disrupt the generational trauma of injustice, enough to make a difference. Jesus and this woman were at Jacob's well. Yes, a sight of powerful reconciliation, but also a place that Jacob gifted to his son Joseph, a dreamer, who dreamed a world that had not yet come into being, who saw hard truths that were coming their way and helped people prepare themselves adequately to meet the moment and challenge of it. We might not be Jesus, but we are children of God, which means we have what we need to do what we can in whatever way God invites us. Perhaps it looks like signing up to volunteer with our partners at City Hope or with Manny Civic Corps. Perhaps it looks like bringing a dish to share at our fellowship next week or participating in an upcoming prayer walk. Maybe it looks like writing letters, making phone calls to our superintendents, right? That's what they're called. Superintendents. Supervisors. Supervisors. I knew it was wrong. See, I'm still learning. But you all know. See, you know more than me. So maybe it means writing a letter, making a phone call, sending an email, or showing up at the door or office of your supervisor to have some things addressed. Maybe it looks like hosting a Monday Thursday meal. Or perhaps simply choosing to show up, to stay, and engage with your whole self in this community with one another. Jesus declares to this woman, and God promises us, that what has been does not have to dictate what will be for ourselves, for our neighborhoods, for our cities, for this world. And so let's live like that's true in every way we can. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that what we see is not all that we can get. And so help us to remember that, 
that there is more than what we can see that you imagine for us. Expand our capacity to have that kind of imagination and increase our courage to live forward into it, whatever way that invites us toward. We thank you for folks like Adrian and Hakika. We thank you for the many, many more people alongside them who are doing good work in this city. And so we ask that you would help us to know the ways in which you are calling us to join them as a community here with our collective power and in our individual spaces as followers of Jesus. Thank you, God, that we have what we need to do what you are calling us to do. Grant us the courage to live into it as you lead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.